0: Is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebel and welcome to episode 149 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today is a little bit different because C.M. Newell is turning the tables on me and I am the guest (laughs) on the show, which is which is kind of crazy. We're going to be talking all about the anatomy of a bestseller, my brand new book, which I hope that you are all going to go out and read and buy. Because I have to say, even though I have suffered with like, a serious amount of doubt. The early feedback is phenomenal and I am officially over the doubt. I'm super proud and I'm just excited to share this bad boy with you. So um, yeah, let's get on uh, with the episode. So last week's question was, what is your poison of choice? Ian Worrell said, I used to like beer if alcohol is what you're referring to, but I don't drink anymore. Now I order nachos from Pizza Girls close to my home as they make the best ones. Jackson Hollingsworth said, I love root beer, the standard cheap kind that isn't actual root beer. (laughs) I I don't have it often due to how unhealthy the caramel colouring and corn syrup are, but when I do have it, I definitely enjoy it. Edwin Downward said, looks like I'm in the root beer camp, although, uh, sorry, though you'll most likely find I have a hot cup of tea in hand. Sasha talks about having her mind blown with new ideas on this podcast. I have to admit this episode is filled with nuggets. I'll have to roll over in my mind to pull out the most actionable parts. One thing bothers me, though. All of Zoe's talk about reader slash fan feedback seems to assume we're receiving enough to be statistically significant. What if that isn't the case? Okay, so this is all. Uh, this is Zoe York's episode, which was I think was two episodes ago. I think that's a really good point. My question to you would be: How much are you trying to solicit? Um, are you just waiting for it to come, or are you actively trying to solicit uh, feedback? Okay, Sarah Snipes says, uh, and obviously, my answer to your answer would be different depending on what your answer is. <laughs> oh my god, that was complicated. Uh, okay, so Sarah Snipes says, loved th- I love this episode and her How I Stumbled My Way Through story. So encouraging for newbies. Poison of choice? Ooh, that's a tough one. Is it coffee or wine? Eek. Okay, and so this week's question is, what bestseller will you deconstruct after listening to this episode? Okay, so in personal update, it is literally launch day for me! <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> It is the 28th of July, Thursday the 28th of July as I record this and it is launch day. It's been a quiet morning this morning, I went off to uh, boot camp, did my exercise, came back, um, had a cup of tea and now I'm recording this so I haven't done an awful lot yet but I do plan, I've got uh, newsletters going out, I've got uh, blog posts, I'm going to be doing some adverts, all kinds of bits and bobs. Um, really ran out of time on this one in terms of uh, doing like a big spectacular countdown and all the rest of it and pre-order but that's okay once a book is live you can continue to promote it so I may well do um, some things when I'm back from South Africa as well I haven't quite decided yet we'll have to see what time uh, will allow so in other news then, I have just nine sections left to go on the audiobook. I am really, really hoping that I can have it done by the end of the weekend, uh, if at all possible. That is my aim. And then I will spend the next three days um, doing all of, well... <laughs> from now until Sunday hopefully I will have done the recording and a lot of the editing and I will have three days then to do the rest of the editing and the pickups uh, and the proofing and then I will get it off to the uh, audiobook masterer so what I'm hoping is that I will have the capacity to load it um, up into ACX, etc., whilst I'm away. And if I can't because the download speeds aren't good enough um, whilst I'm away, then it will be the first thing that I do when I get back. So, either way, I am 100% determined to get this book uh, at least going through the ACX channels uh, during August. So, it should, at worst case, Well, I don't know, because I don't know how long the ACX wait is at the moment. But, you know, (laughs) I'm doing everything I can to get the audiobook live for you. Uh, Not quite simultaneously, of course, because it's launch day, but as close to simultaneous uh, as possible. I have to say, I have very, very, very much enjoyed doing this audiobook. I was dreading it, if I'm honest, because the first one had been (laughs) such a fucking debacle. I made so many mistakes. Um... Whilst doing it, but this one has been a bit of a breeze, so I actually think it has been that encouraging that I might continue to just try and buzz through, blitz through the rest of my uh, non-fiction catalogue. So yeah, I don't know, we'll see. I don't know if I have the confidence yet to do fiction. I'm not sure I'm quite there, but uh, maybe by the time I've caught up with all of the non-fiction books, Um, yes. So what else is new? Nothing really. I've just been focusing on launch, trying to wind everything down before I go away um, and doing a little bit of learning. Oh, I have also finished outlining my new fiction book for the pen name, which is good. I need to now go to skeleton draft mode. I think I'm going to check with my um, coach whether or not she thinks I'm ready to do that. Uh, But if I am ready to do that, I might actually do that in South Africa. I don't know. It depends. It depends. It depends. It depends. Um, But yeah, moving rapidly on with that. And um, yeah, I think that's probably it in personal update. If you haven't got your copy of the anatomy of a bestseller, then please do go and get your copy. I'm going to uh, read you the blurb right now. Okay, so. Do you wish you could write like your favourite authors? Do you want to improve your writing? If you want to power up your stories, write with your readers in mind and develop what the market wants, this book is for you. In the anatomy of a bestseller, you'll discover a step-by-step guide to deconstructing your favourite books so you can utilise the tools of winning authors. Tips and tricks for breaking down everything from sentence-level prose to plot, pacing, characters, story arcs and more. A comprehensive guide to understanding your market and what your readers want tactics for turning the lessons and tools you find into practical prose and stories the anatomy of a bestseller is a comprehensive guide that will break down the best books in your genre it will help you to understand how and why they work and then you can go and do it yourself. By the end of the book, you'll be armed with the methods you need to deconstruct bestsellers, understand the tools those authors are using, and how to implement them in your own work. If you like dark humor and learning through examples, then you'll love my new guide to deconstructing winning books. Read The Anatomy of a Bestseller today and start writing your bestseller. So if you haven't got a copy yet, please do go and get one. You can buy direct, you can get it on all of the stores kobo apple barnes and noble google play uh, and amazon uh so yeah you can get it absolutely anywhere and of course if you're waiting for the audio it won't be too much longer all right i think that's it from me um Of course, that was this week's book recommendation. (laughs) I couldn't think of another one. Uh, So let's go on to the rebel of the week. The rebel of the week this week is Katie Rice. Katie says, In the middle of a bitter divorce, I know, I'm being redundant. My ex tried to get me to sign a confidentiality agreement that would prevent me from writing anything about our relationship. That included two kids, one dog, three home renovations, countless parties, basically more than half my life. I couldn't even write about our vacations and I had been a travel writer. Oh my God, what? Um, It said that I couldn't even talk to an accountant or lawyer unless they signed the same agreement. And then the clause said that if either of us, meaning me, I'm the memoirist, violated this provision, I would consent in advance in advance to all sorts of punishments including a restraining order and injunctive relief whatever injunctive relief means and i'm not sure how a restraining order applies to someone who talks a lot and how would they restrain me (laughs) Tape my mouth (laughs) slap my laptop closed clearly it was an intimidation tactic which failed good Of course, I refused to sign. And guess what? I wrote about, I wrote, guess what I wrote, and guess what I wrote about in the book I published last fall? (laughs) Some stuff about him and me. Not a lot. I don't want to be that uh, bore droning on and on about her ex, but one chapter is called... Oh my god, if sex is so bad, why did God make it so fun? So of course, I had to write about my sex life, including but not limited to the parts that involved him. Now, no spicy romance or erotica, which I enjoyed learning about in the Rebel Author Podcast episode 138. However, it could fit into dark romance, and who knows how I might spice up the next memoir. Uh, Thanks to all that I keep learning from the Rebel Author Podcast. Oh my goodness me, I love this, and I love that you didn't sign that as well what a fucking ridiculous like contract to have sent you like absolutely bananas uh thank you so much for that that gave me a giggle today if you would like to be a rebel of the week please do send in your story we really are always in need of stories we sort of wax and wane between having a handful and then like or being on the edge of not having any at all so yeah please do send in your stories it can be any kind of rebellion big small or something in between You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. A whopping thank you to brand new patrons, Katrina Marie, Mackenzie Alexander, Shirley Day, and Sparky Hazard. You guys are freaking awesome. Thank you so much for joining the community. I really appreciate it. You guys help to make me feel like what I do is worthwhile and it's having an impact And trust me, from someone with significance, that means everything. Uh, So yeah, I really, really appreciate the support. And I love the community that we have as well. So an enormous thank you to my existing patrons as well. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as bonus content, you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Pro Writing Aid, but rather than hear me talk about that, because you're going to get a lot of that this episode, let's listen to the ever-amazing Eden.
1: So, I really like Pro Writing Aid because it acts as a second set of eyes to help me pick out any of the um, subconscious mistakes or any of the overused patterns that uh, occur in my writing. Um, apparently, commas are my worst enemy, but uh, thanks to Pro Writing Aid, it's gotten a lot better. Um, as a result, my writing is clearer and better structured, which is a fantastic plus for a, for a writer, certainly. <laughs> Hello Rebels, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, we're talking to none other than Sasha Black. Sasha is a best-selling and competition-winning author, Rebel podcaster, and professional speaker. She writes educational nonfiction books for writers and sapphic books for young adults. She lives in- Cambridgeshire. Cambridgeshire. (laughs) She lives in Cambridgeshire, England with her wife and son. And I can't wait to talk to her about her new book, which is launching the anatomy of a bestseller. Sasha, it's so good to have you on your own podcast.
0: (laughs) Hello. It's very weird not to be doing that intro. Thanks for hosting or taking over and very rebellious of you.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm so excited. So I'm Cassie Newell and I'm here to interview Sasha um, about her launch and upcoming book. And I was um, so thrilled. I also received an ARC copy of this wonderful book. So I have plenty of questions. And of course, I can't wait for this book to come out to be shared with so many writers because I feel that this book, The Anatomy of a Bestseller, is one that everyone will be interested in. It will provide a lot of how-to for new writers, and I think confirmation for more experienced writers. It's at every level. So tell me a little bit about this book and who it's truly meant for. So
0: it's meant for any writer who either wants to improve their writing or for any writer who has ever read a book and gone, Oh my God. So not, oh my God, from the reader perspective where a reader's like, plot twist, but a writer going, how the fuck did that author write that sentence or pull off that plot twist? Or how did they land that philosophical, meaningful moment? Like, oh my God, how did they make me cry? Oh my God, how did they have such snippy, whippy dialogue. So it's really, it is 100% for writers who have ever looked at a book full of lust and like longing to be able to write in the way that those authors write. And the book's whole aim is to show you how you can deconstruct and break down those moments in books or break down those sentences that you love to work out, what tools that author has done? Was it a juxtaposition? Was it a was it I don't know, was it a metaphor? Did they did they drop three bits of foreshadowing or whatever? you know so this is this is the purpose of the book is to give you a methodology to go into the books that you read and deconstruct what those authors have done so you can pluck out the tools and then the best bit is you can use those tools yourself in your own work.
1: That is so awesome. So using these tools in your own work. So I, I love that you talked about this being a bestseller and how you've evolved as a writer and how really it's, a, when, it, when we say bestseller, that definition is very cyclical, right? To the individual of what a bestseller is. You talk about that in your book. So I'm curious what is your definition of a bestseller?
0: I actually think this was the hardest question you asked me. <laughs> and it's the first one I'm asking, right? Sorry. So, I mean, there are so many different variations on what bestseller means. So you have like your very traditionally based uh, bestseller Uh, titles like the New York Times, the Sunday Times bestseller, Wall Street Journal, uh, USA Today, all of those lists, well, less so the USA Today, but a lot of the lists are, and I think people don't always know this, but they are actually owned by traditional publishing. So just because- (laughs) I love that. I know, I know. So like, just because you sell- bastards. I know. (laughs) Even if you sell enough books to actually get on that list, it doesn't, actually guarantee you a spot so there are there are many <laughs> authors I know who have outsold traditional authors who have not been placed on the list because their book was not traditionally published so yes you can get on to the New York Times as an indie author but um, it is very difficult because there is uh, more data than just sales data that goes to make up those lists. There is also an element of curation. Where that is less the case is the bestseller tags like, for example, on um, Kobo or Amazon or Apple. There, it is much more about the volume of sales. But even so, you look at Amazon, if you're in Kindle Unlimited, then the algorithms favor you. Therefore, you are much more likely to get higher up the rankings because of algorithmic reasons, right? We're not going to go into loads yeah. of loads of that. But so, but there, that is your orange bestseller tag in a specific niche in a specific genre in a specific category but then there are like so many other types of bestseller that I think are completely valid so for example Hmm. there could be a book that absolutely changed your world that just changed the way you look at things that was a story that maybe um, pushed you into writing but hasn't necessarily been at number one on the New York Times bestseller list, but maybe their description is so rich and so stunning, you literally salivate every single time you read that book. And for me, those count because this book, the anatomy of a bestseller is all about helping you to find those tools, those techniques that you want in your author voice, in your writing voice. So if that means that you love a book that maybe has is a perennial seller, but hasn't ever been at number one in the Amazon store, that still fucking counts. Like that still counts. It still sells well, right? It's still sold tens of thousands of books over the lifetime of, of its life. Um, and so that counts, and I think we all get a little bit too het up in you know it's got to be on this list or that list or have have had that tag. But you look at a lot of these mid listers who are selling a fuckload of books. And they haven't necessarily been number one on the bestseller list yet. They're bringing in six and seven figures a year. So, yeah, I think in terms of my personal definition, it's all of those things. If you Mm -hmm. want, if you want to know, like where I specifically sit, I would say for me, I am aiming at a book that brings in six figures, uh, but also is a really well-written story that also gives me the flexibility to play with prose because I love gorgeous prose so yeah, yeah. sometimes we have to yeah I, I would say that is that is what I'm after I am after a six-figure book that brings in loads of cash hits what the reader wants in terms of story but also gives me the freedom uh, like for the readers to enjoy my prose or, or voice or whatever like quirky style
1: that's awesome. So really it's around goal definitions for yourself and how that plays with what you're seeing in the market to a certain degree, but really it's around your own personal definition as you've described.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. Because when you come to this, that like I talk about this quite early on in the book and then again, later in the book at towards the end of the book, when we look at market, but A lot of writers will not align their goal with either their reading or their market research. So let's say, for example, you want to kill it in an indie genre, in an indie niche, some genre that is mostly owned by indie authors. And those books are predominantly in Kindle Unlimited. Um, But what they're doing is they're reading all traditionally published books. Well, That is not a good thing to do because whilst you might enjoy those traditionally published books, they are not delivering to the reader market that you're about to go into. So you need your reading to align with your goal. If you want to be a traditionally published author, then you should absolutely be reading traditionally published books and deconstructing those books to see what they do. If you want to be a super successful indie in KU or a super successful indie wide or whatever in a particular genre or niche, then that is where you should be focusing your reading.
1: Very good. So I'm going to kind of change up my questions here because I think this leads us into the discussion of talking about the constructive constructive comparison at the heart of this book, right? Mm -hmm. So how does one determine without having an overinflated ego or imposter syndrome setting in, you know, it's comparing, but for purpose, for learning, for figuring out the mechanics behind the success. So I just want to know, you know, what this book was the first move in which you studied it this way. Was there a particular you know, aspect in school that said, Sasha, we want you to deconstruct this classic. And then this came to you later in your writer journey. Like what started this process for you?
0: It was a mindset shift. I think, um, I definitely did not particularly enjoy I feel really bad about this because I had this, I had, everybody has a teacher, right? And my, the teacher was my English teacher and he is phenomenal. And it's funny because I recently reached out to him just to say, thank you. And he's like the headmaster in an Irish school now. And I managed to find him online just because he left such a mark on me. Um, And if it weren't for him, I probably wouldn't have become a writer. So I just wanted to message him and say like, thank you so much. Like, and the funny thing was when I left the school, I'd given him this leather, um, uh, like a leather cover that goes over like, like a, not like a file of facts, but you know, that kind of thing. He still has that to this day. And whenever he uses it, he he said it always reminds him of me. So I, it was such a lovely touch point to like Aww. get back in touch and just say, thank you. Um, but anyway, I didn't, <laughs> I loved the creative writing lessons that we did in, in with him, but I didn't enjoy the deconstruction. And I think it's because looking back now, In education, you stop at why so that I kind of talk about the fact that there are three types of um, three levels of reading. There is the what, the why and the how. And when you are just pure reading, you only interact with the surface level plot. So like there's a boy on a quest, the boy discovers the sword of death and then the, the boy kills the villain. Like that is the what of what's going on. Then at school, you kind of go a bit deeper and you look at why. So you look at, look at like thematics, you look at what the author meant, like what was the, what was he really saying, what was the philosophy. And that was great at school, but it used to wind me up because I didn't know how the writer had done what they'd done. And that was really, I think, what I was after. But I never, I never got to that conclusion until much later in life. Um, so that's probably, that was like the seed, I would say, was my English lessons at school. And then um, I went to university, forgot all about English, studied psychology, and then I started reading again uh, when I was in the corporate uh, <laughs> my corporate helmet. Um, and I I I loved reading so much that it I, I'd kind of been reminded how much I enjoyed the escapism and stuff. And then I started writing like with the intent to publish and that was the point at which my mindset shifted and instead of going into reading knowing I was just reading I was going in knowing that I was a writer now and that changed things for me because I want I as a competitive person (laughs) I naturally go in and go oh, this shit is good. Like, how the fuck do I do that? And so that going in, knowing I wanted to be a full-time writer meant I had to get better, meant I had to improve. And in order for me to improve, I needed to know how they'd done what they'd done. And so that was the point at which my brain completely veered and was like, every single time I saw anything that I liked, I was like, how did they? how did they do that? How, how did they do that? I want to do that. How do they do that? And so that That's was awesome. Yeah, that was the shift.
1: So let's talk about that a little bit. So in your book, you talk about the two types of reading, entertainment and intentionality, right? For further learning for those of us that are very learner oriented and trying to like, I don't know, you're describing it. And I'm like, Sasha Sherlock Sherlock Holmesing it, you know, like she's just <laughs> figuring it out. So with that in mind, like, did you know ahead of time when you pick up a book that this is for entertainment or if this is for further learning, or were you halfway reading this book and going, "Oh my god, I love this! I have to like deconstruct it as I go." Like, kind of talk us through how you choose when you're deconstructing? Is it immediate? Do you know ahead of time? Is it planned? Or is it something as it goes? So this is,
0: this is a hard one for me because I would say that as time has gone on, I find it harder and harder to turn it off because it's become a bit of a superpower for me personally. So this is a really tricky question because now my reading has like deconstruction has become part of the enjoyment of reading for me because every time I read I get to learn something new and that's like a little crack energy pennies for my little learner everyone drink um (laughs) and (laughs) we're never gonna get through a podcast without talking about bloody strengths but um yeah so it's it doesn't turn off for me so much the one exception to that would be when I read some, so like, I don't want to, I don't want it to sound derogatory, but like when I read fluff. So if I just read um, a book that is like pure fluff and it's almost that guilty pleasure, just a story that like you read, you enjoy in the moment, and then it's kind of gone afterwards, like it's not a thing yeah. that you're going to remember forever. Those are the books that I can kind of still do that with. Um, but now, the more I like a book, the more I want to know what they've done. So, because obviously if I like it, I'm like, oh, this is really good. Like, therefore I value something this author has done. Therefore I need to know how they've done it. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I would say the more, (laughs) more like something, the more I deconstruct it. In terms of choosing, I would say there's a few different things that I do. So the first one is, I personally want to learn how to do something new so for a long time description was a real weakness of mine one of my editors said you know you're very good at this you're very good at that but your description needs work so I was like okay fine so I went and asked lots of friends lots of readers I asked bookstagram you know what are the best descriptive books you've ever read and then I abused my bank, and brought a load of those books, (laughs) much to my wife's dismay. And then I started reading them, and I read them knowing full well that what I was after was description. So I was purposefully looking for anything they'd done that was descriptive. Did they describe a building? Did they use a metaphor? Is there a new character being introduced? Well, then you're going to get a description. So what does that description look like? And how does character description differ from building description? You know, um, and so it's that's that's one thing that I do is I go in knowing um another thing I do is read for genre. And so, for example, I've just moved into a new secret genre. <laughs> and so I am reading a lot of books in that genre. And for me, that's more of like a helicopter um Uh, like bird's eye view so like once you get to a certain point in your development you know how to write a good metaphor you know how to put a juxtaposition in you know how to make your line of character description work twice for you because you've got personality and appearance in there right you you get those basic things so when I move into a genre it's more about that helicopter view well what 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 patterns are there what am I seeing more than once in a book is it all enemies to lovers is it all um, there's a moment where they accidentally touch. OK, well, that's significant because that's been in three of the books that I've read. You know, I go in and look at, OK, what are the what are the types of happy ever afters that we get or what are the inciting incidents and how do those inciting incidents link to the dark moment or, or whatever. Right. So I go in looking yeah. at a higher level of genre. How does this mood link to urban fantasy, right? How gritty is it? How are they creating that? Or it's romance. So I'm going in and I'm reading for romance, which means I'm looking mostly at how does the book make me feel? What visceral reactions am I having? And at what point in the book am I having them? So like I try and attach those things to genre. Um, So yeah, that would be another example of uh, going in knowing. And then there are times when I just pick up a book and I read. And and as I read, I'm much quicker and faster at this now than when I first started. But a few chapters in, I'll be like, oh, okay, this author's really good at that. And so I will then read with that in mind as I go through.
1: So, wow, this, like so many things are going off in my head in terms of questions. And so I'm going to put this back on me a little bit as a writer, right? So brand new to this topic, brand new to this process, like what would I, if you would, a general person as a writer look for to dive into deep deconstruction of a book? Is it something at the beginning I should look at for similar voice, level of success? Like what would you recommend someone who's just picking up your book for the first time going, I don't know where to start. What would be that one thing you would say, this is where I'd recommend you start.
0: Okay. Low hanging fruit, easy options, rather than going in for like really hard stuff. um, Look at something uh, very obvious or very easy. First lines are a great You know, it is literally the first line in a book. okay? and nine times out of 10 or maybe let's say seven or eight times out of 10, an author will have worked really hard on that first line. That is genre dependent. But a lot of the times and a lot of the books I'm seeing published right now have almost copy written. Um, And by that, I mean, made a very hooky tagline type first line. So Mm. that is a really good place to start. Just stop, read the first line and have a look at it. What is it doing? You know, uh, what does it tell you? Is it character based? Is it description? Is it dialogue? Well, okay, whichever one of those, if it's characterization, what are you learning about that character? And what words in that sentence are telling you those things about the character? Does it give you a hint of what's to come? Does it hint, you know, you've got a character slagging something off, you know, unlikable characters do this all the time. If you've got an unlikable protagonist, you're almost guaranteed the first sentence is going to be about something they hate. So what is this? What tone is it creating? What's it setting up? But in in more broad terms, other than just the first line, pick, I would start with the things that are most obvious, like the most common tools that we get taught. So as a writer, Even a new writer, you know that you probably need to use some metaphors and similes at some point. Those are like really early tools that we get taught. So start with those, just look for a metaphor, look for a simile, look for a great line of description, or look for a line of dialogue that makes you laugh. And in fact, that is another way to look at this time that a book makes you feel something, whether it's laughter, sadness, um, whether you're swooning <laughs> and like shipping a couple, stop, stop where you are and just go, what just happened? Which line yeah. was it that made me feel that thing? Um, and that is, that is the, I think the easiest way to start because emotions are so big and powerful and you know, they're obvious when we're reading. So start with the obvious.
1: Yeah. I love that because the other thing to that, right. Is like when people say, oh, this book was so funny or this show was so funny. And sometimes it's really funny to everyone. And then sometimes it's not so obvious, right. It's so individual as to why something moves you. Right. And I just pick laughter because it's the easiest thing to to, to talk about laughter because it's so cyclical. And I, I love watching comics talk about that too, when jokes hit, when they don't hit. But I also think um with this, I want to take a step back and talk about how this self-learning process has really impacted you and your writing journey. Um, you know, let's dig a little deeper into the night here of Sasha, you know, was there a specific aha moment for you? Um, I don't know if I had a
0: specific aha. I think I have a book where I was really like, oh I, I am really starting to pull things apart, um, and that book was Delirium by Lauren Oliver. And I've got an example Aww. of like the first—it's almost embarrassing—but the first kind of deconstruction that I did. And so I thought I would read—I read what I did. So I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the sentence that I picked out because I wrote this up in a blog post because this is how my I, this is how I came to writing bloody nonfiction because I was sharing. The things that I'd learned, I had to write them down. So, the sentence from uh, *Delirium* goes like this: "As soon as I look up, his eyes click onto my face. The breath whooshes out of my body, and everything freezes for a second as I." As, th- as though I'm looking at him through my camera lens, zoomed in all the way, the world pausing for that tiny span of time between the opening and closing of the shutter. Um, and what is hilarious is my attention to detail is pitiful because I wrote as as thought instead of as though. Um, so this shows you how far I've come. But anyway, so that was the quote. And then this <laughs> this, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna read my original analysis and then I'm going to tell you all of the things that I pick up now so you can see like the difference. And oh, the this progress. is going to
1: be fascinating. A before <laughs> and after on live podcast. Right, exactly. Te-
0: Tell us. Okay, so here's what I said. I mean, the thing is, I knew this was the show-stopping love interest just from the description. And that's kind of the point, is it not? To tell the reader something the character doesn't know. How did she do it? Well, the sensations Lena feels for one, the air whooshing, time stopping. But frankly, I think the camera lens is, fuck- is a fucking genius metaphor. It drills straight into our subconscious. Lena is in the middle of chaos and yet has a moment of pause where she focuses on this boy. The metaphor description of that pause is not only describing the moment, but it's also an instruction to the reader. You there, readerly person, focus on this boy character. He's important. Hashtag that is all. She tells us to zoom in her words genius and now I'm like oh my god
1: this is so embarrassing I can't believe I just read this but I thought it was pretty awesome maybe because I'm (laughs) new to this but that sounds like something I would say but no but this no okay so
0: it also because it's obviously nonfiction voice and I'm like I would not write like that now but anyway um this is a good this is good okay this is a good deconstruction the difference now is the level of detail in which I would go. So let's, let's look at this. Um, so first of all, in the quote, what I miss in this original description, in this original description, is how many points and nods this girl does to the camera. So um, the very first sentence is, as soon as I look up, his eyes click onto my face. She could have chosen any other word, but what does a camera do? It clicks, right? I didn't even pick up on that the first time I read it, but she is extending this metaphor and putting nods to, um, the camera, uh, metaphor throughout the whole paragraph. Um, everything freezes for a second. Well, what does a camera do? It takes a photo and freezes a moment in time. Um, Zoomed in all the way. Uh, the world pausing for that tiny span of time. So she she's also talking about the fact that a photo, uh, you know, is a moment in time. So she's referring to this camera metaphor in so many different layers. And then the other thing she does is she has like a a yin and yang kind of uh, juxtaposition in here. Opening and closing so two ends of it so she's yeah. used like that really nice full circle opening and closing and then shutter is another word that links to the camera um and Yeah. So like those were some of the things I looked at. I was like, oh, my God, you're like, yes, okay." you picked up on the camera metaphor, but like you missed the whole point of how she's done it. So like when I first started doing it, it was, yeah, I was Mm. starting to break it down, but I wasn't really getting into the detail of the hows. Um, There was something else that I picked up on as I was talking. Uh, This is not describing the reader at the moment, but also instruction to the reader. Yes. So no, I don't know. It's gone. Uh, Maybe it'll come back to me, but yeah, I just wanted to pick up the fact that actually, you know, over time you do go into a lot more detail. You, you are able to pick up on so many more things. Um, and yeah, so I just thought I would share like a before and after.
1: (laughs) Gosh, I guess that kind of makes me think about, you know, I've been doing some deconstruction as a result. Um, you know, I, uh, I've been looking at the various books and I think I'm very much at the beginning. Sometimes I don't know why I like something, but I mark it anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I think once I'm out of the story, I'll go back to it. Yes. Kind of as you've done here, right? Um, so I, I love that deconstruction under your guidance in this book is very personable, right? There are no experts in this process. You've made that so clear through the book, which I completely <laughs> love because, right, all of us learn and take things in differently. Like we talked about humor just a minute ago. Um, so how do you become at ease with what you're doing? And if you're doing it right and getting the most out of this effort, I think that's something that plagues me. Like I go through this and I go, am I doing this right? Am I categorizing this right? Like I'm just kind of in my head about it. So yeah. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Like how do yes. you- Get the I'm the most out of this effort. I'm gonna I'm gonna make you really uncomfortable <laughs> and I'm gonna not go into
0: any detail, but you work in clinical research, right? I do. Okay, and that's all we're gonna say. So you work in clinical research, which means when you go into a study, you don't know anything. <laughs> You don't know what you're gonna find. You don't know what the result will be. You have a feeling that you might know what the result will be, but you don't know until you get that hard data and the evidence of whatever you're predicting as you go into the study. Mm -hmm. So obviously like you have some knowledge, you obviously have scientific background, so you have scientific um, education and we have reading as our education, but we don't know before we go in. And the thing is, Everything that we know today, we didn't used to know. Somebody had to discover it, right? And this is the important thing. We can discover things ourselves. And the thing that I really want to impress is that it it doesn't really matter what you discover versus what I discover. That is comparison for the sake of like comparison what is important is that whatever you discover you love it makes you light up it it makes you go oh my god i love this technique i love that sentence i can do that now and it doesn't matter what i find it doesn't matter what scott or yanni or you know like matt or any of the other patrons find what matters is that what you find lights you up because that means you can incorporate that into your writing voice and at the end of the day we all write in different genres we all write in different niches and we all have different styles and different voices and that is the most important part of this like and that's why it's actually probably really important not to like compare what you know you're pulling out to somebody else because what what they are pulling out, might not be important to you. And interestingly enough, when an author writes the book, we don't know which of their sentences are their favourite and which of the sentences they put in to try and foreshadow or to try and push you off track or in a mystery book or what they, mm. what they think they've put in to create a certain image in your mind. It's just like when a book gets translated to a movie, everyone's like, well, that's not what I pictured the character as, you know, oh, and, yeah. and, and it's the same thing. So when that book gets translated to the reader and then you're picking out the stuff that they've done, it's not necessarily going to correspond with what the, what the author felt was important when they were putting it in like guaranteed that um, I have one particular reader who reads my fiction and always picks out sentences. And it's never the fucking sentences that I think they're going to pick out. Right. And that just goes to show that everybody's um, experience with the book is different. And that's okay. That is the point. That is what creates uniqueness and originality is that we all like these different things. So by the very fact that you like something that should give you confidence because you're getting to know what your preferences are and what your voice is. So yeah, power.
1: (laughs) So just as we're talking, I'm thinking, to the intentionality of writing from what you've learned. So do you look at this process as something that a writer subconsciously will do as a result of deconstructing and learning? Or do you think it's something that you should have as a part of your process, maybe an editing, like, is there a part in which to bring this in? So I don't want to dictate to writers what their process should be, because
0: I don't think it matters. I think as long as you're getting to the end of a book and you're proud of what that book is like, then that is all that matters. Yeah. If you're asking how I personally do it, With anything that I learn, I have to learn consciously and and intentionally. I'm just not um, intuitive in that way. I I do have some intuitive things that I do, but learning is a very intentional act for me. Um, And I know that's not the case for everybody. And that's also okay. Um, But I will intentionally learn these things. And then I consolidate that information and that is partly by putting it into action and writing other stuff and trying things. And it's partly through reading new books and finding the same tool or that another that the, a different author has used or whatever. And then what happens is once you've consolidated, or at least for me, it goes into my subconscious and that then outpours as a tool that I just know how to do, right? So like, I just know how to write a metaphor now. I don't have to think about writing a metaphor anymore. Just like driving, I've been driving 20 years. I don't need to think about how to drive. I just get in and drive my car. And that said, there is a bit more intentionality for me around editing. And it also depends on how fast I've drafted the book. I just drafted a really quick book and that is going to need more editing. But when I edit i will be editing for specific things so maybe i go into a really pivotal scene that's really emotional and then i'll be like oh okay right i need to slow down and be a bit more intentional with what i'm doing i need to make it emotive, which means i need to tap into that visceral uh sensory writing maybe i want more juxtapositions maybe i slow it down maybe i need a bit more um character like narrative um uh like processing like them thinking yeah. in in the narrative summary mm-hmm. um Um, And so there is a little bit of that um, consciousness. But again, the more I study, the more I know, the more that gets put into my subconscious and becomes automatic. But that's after like several years of doing this. So I would say when I first did it, I was much, much, much more intentional in the edits more than drafting because I'm a bit of a vomiter. I'll just vomit drafts out. But in the editing, yeah. And now the quality of a first draft is better, which means the quality of the editing I can do
1: is better. So yeah,
0: uh, yeah, it, it is a process of yeah growth and automation. Yeah, that's really
1: interesting to see how it's kind of defined your process and and how it's changed over time, right? So that's good to know when, you know, you're starting this and, you know, maybe you're not sure, you know, if you're marking the right things for you or figuring out why something's moved you to know that it'll develop over time for sure. So that's really good to know. Um, I'm getting kind of close to the end of my questions, but I'm just kind of curious um, in in the very beginning of this book, you mentioned you never intended to write this book. Mm-hmm. So how did this beauty come to be, you know, and why now? Why was now the time for this book? Well, there's a very naughty patron of mine called
0: Cassie, who is very sassy and basically
1: demanded that I write this book. Uh, No, so I know not of this person you're speaking of.
0: Um, Yeah, I mean, you basically slipped into my DMs with a cover (laughs) and was like, you know, you should probably write this book. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I mean, obviously there was more to it than that. Um, But that was a real, real nudge in the right direction. I don't remember exactly what tipped me over the edge. I do feel like it was the cover, but in terms of knowing I had the capability to write it. Cause this was a really fucking difficult book to write. Even though I wrote it really quickly, I had to make conscious something that I do subconsciously and automatically, and then convey that in a way that was easy to understand and still be funny <laughs> and put dick jokes in. So <laughs> that was, it was quite, quite harsh. Hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what has helped is that with, um, with the Patreon, We have a Rebel Readers level, uh, which is $15 a month. And then every quarter we read a book together and we started deconstructing those books together. And what that means is we would all read. We have a Slack channel. Everybody talks about the book. Um, And then I present the book. Essentially, I present I break down all kinds of stuff. We never know what I'm going to break down (laughs) until, until we (laughs) arrive. Like the faith that you guys have in me is so reassuring because, oh, um, but yeah, so like we've broken down various books and I would either like pick out a trope and we would talk about like what made it that trope and how they did it and the characterization or the character arc, for example, or The description or the symbolism, we've broken down so many different things and we never know what it's going to be because we haven't read the book before it happens. Um, And that. Action, though, that process of putting into practice for others what I have been doing kind of highlighted mm. the fact that actually this was gonna, this was really useful. And the, and the, uh, the reaction that you guys gave me was so um, confidence boosting, the fact that you really got something from it and l- loved seeing like your own perspectives on the book knowing that you were going to, you know, reading it, knowing we were going to deconstruct it versus what I then found. And then taking that away and putting that into your own writing, that kind of gave me the confidence to, uh, to write the book. But yeah, I actually, you know, if it weren't for you, I probably wouldn't have written the book. So this one really truly is for you.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And I love it. And I've already started doing the things. I think too, just a little plug for rebel readers is that, the aspect of reading the book and coming together, you know, discussing a book like you would in a book club, this is just more tactile. And I think why it works so well is that even, I'll be the first to admit, I don't always love the books we choose, (laughs) but I learned something from it. Okay, yes, I didn't like the story, but this certain part, oh, that's what drove this or that decision. Or, you know, how the story arc really hit here and how the interaction with various side characters moved a plot forward even. You know, so there's lots of mechanics in there, not just around description narration, but also big story items around trope and around character and emotion that's very tactile. That I think when you look at craft books, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. It's very solo. So it's really interesting because I've also been watching our our fellow Patreons within the community that I adore, like our minds will start to change about a book as we're talking about it. And I find that electrifying to be quite honest because I'll be like, oh, I hated that, (laughs) you know or I I sped read through half of that, you know and then I'm turning back and going, oh, I missed oh, I see what they're saying. I think that tactile aspect of deconstruction And then if you're able, you know, to have a friend or a pal that loved the same book and you're chatting about it, it's that same aspect, right? When you're chatting about your favorite books and what you loved and what you didn't or whatever, or how you wished an ending happened, you know, that really, you know, moves that process. Sorry, I'm gushing a little, but you know what I mean? I find it very tactile in its learning, in its basis, um, for the uh, the anatomy of a bestseller, but also just the practice of it, right? You've got to practice it.
0: That's exactly it. And and it's interesting because that is a really good example when you were saying, oh, and you know, sometimes if you talk to uh, another friend who's read the book, you talk about, oh, I wish, I love this character. I love that relationship. I wish this was, was the ending. And although we have like five, 10 minutes of that at the beginning, that isn't how we run the class. We run the class with the intention of- yeah seeing how the writer did that and then pulling that out to put it in our own work. And that I think is why the classes work because we're coming yeah. at it from a writing perspective to steal all the good tools and tricks and literary devices.
1: <laughs> right. Well, I mean, steal's a hard word. I would yeah. say, you know, it's more like it's, it's definitely learning. It's different than a book club, right? It's yeah. different than chatting with your pals. You're taking something and now you're making it intentional.
0: Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I guess in, in just kind of one of my final questions here, what do you hope writers solidify in their process and learning as a result of this book? Like what what are you trying to drill home?
0: I hope that this book gives everybody confidence. I hope that it fills people with a knowing that their likes and their passions are valid, that whatever they find in a book that makes them gush or swoon or or sigh is valid. And there is a reason that they like it. And hopefully by the end of the book, they will be able to figure out the reason why they liked it. And then the magic happens when they get to take that and put that into their own work. So I hope it helps people. I hope it gives people a way to curate their own voice. A lot of right. And I don't even really talk about, I don't talk about voice at all in this book, but that is kind of what it's doing. It's helping people to figure out what their voice is through learning, through reading, through deconstructing. And that is an empowering process and, and uh, yeah, an empowering act that you can do for yourself. So yeah, I hope it gives everybody confidence. And also, <laughs> The bonus is that at the back of the book, in the last section, we talk about the market. We haven't even talked about that. Um, but there's a whole section around understanding your market, understanding your genre, understanding what changes, how to keep up, how much you need to you know, read and understand and deconstruct within the market, within the genre. So I, I know there are a lot of newer writers who really struggle to understand that aspect. And when it doesn't get talked about an awful lot. There are some books that talk about it, but not in the way that I've talked about it. So, um, I really hope that helps them as well.
1: Oh, that's awesome. I love this book. So in wrapping up, this is the rebel podcast. And as a guest of your own show, <laughs> please tell your rebel listeners, a rebel story. Of uh, your own. Oh my God. I've been dying to <laughs> ask this question. You have no idea.
0: Oh my God. So I literally, I, I went to my, I went to my wife. I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to give a rebel story. (laughs) She just laughed at me. and She was like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I have no fucking idea. And it's not because I haven't got rebel stories. It's because I'm like, which one do I pick? So um, 14 years ago, no, must be less than that. uh, Maybe 12 years ago, I had done a stint in the Students' Union I had been vice president. No, I'd been yeah, vice president of communications and media or whatever it was. And then I was president of the Students' Union. So like as president of the Students' Union, you're kind of like a CEO of the Students' Union because you drive and direct like... Where they're going, you interact with the vice chancellor of the university and sit on the governing body of the university. You sit on various other bo- boards with all of these people who wear suits all day, every day, and you know have like clipboards and fucking five thousand <laughs> page long corporate reports of which you, as the president, have to bloody read. Um, and I used to love sitting in meetings. I remember. <laughs> picking out mistakes and problems. And I I used to really wind up some of the um, very corporate bods who were very serious about their jobs. Anyway, so at the end of year summer party, um, we have like a, uh, uh, there was a vice chancellor students union drinks and we got to invite some friends. So I invited, I'd gotten onto this um, fast track management scheme which was also in a very corporate, very conservative organization. And so I'd invited my fellow, um, what they called, like grads to come to this party. Now, the reason I don't drink very much anymore is because I'm a bit of a fucking liability. (laughs) And i a really bad influence because I can really encourage people to drink more. And I thought it was a really good idea to drink tequila. <laughs> so um, we're in this party with basically um, a whole cohort of very serious corporate graduates, a whole group of very serious um. Uh, governing body, governors of the university and uh, directors of the university and the vice chancellor. And I'd gone in wearing a bright red Jessica Rabbit type dress. And... and, (laughs) and, But the thing was, Cathy, I couldn't wear any pants. (laughs) Pants being knickers, because I know this is like... uh, uh, Yeah, so underwear. I couldn't wear any underwear because I had really bad VPL. So I went commando and it was all, good. (laughs) it was all fine. It was all fine until, until the tequila came out and then, and then I got a bit naughty and basically um, I decided that I had no more fucks to give and that I didn't want to go into a new organization, um, you know, without people really knowing who I was. So I got very, very, very drunk and I basically flashed the vice (laughs) chancellor cheek on the way out of the party and he was like stood there in absolute uh shock and dismay and obviously all of the rest of my corporate cohort were there so before I started my graduate management scheme everyone had seen my bum cheeks uh and I just didn't give a fuck because I was really really drunk and in fact my colleague was so wasted he ended up pissing up his own bedroom wall because I'd given him that much tequila he thought it was a toilet so it was a bit of a one of those nights so yeah yeah. Oh my, my God. rebel moment, my rebel exit was flashing my vice chancellor.
1: Excellent. They knew you in a way they just didn't know before. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, they realized a party with Sasha <laughs> means something extremely different. This is why I don't <laughs>
0: drink. <laughs> Nobody needs to see my bum cheeks.
1: <laughs> I love it. Oh, the pressure of finding your rebel story and for most of us. And Sasha's like, Oh, which one today? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> well, thank you for allowing me to interview you on this epic podcast. Uh, and for this fabulous book. Um, Yeah, it means a lot to me. I think it means a lot to new writers just figuring things out. Um, Maybe they don't have the opportunity to take a lot of courses or they're just trying to discover for themselves. What a great place to start. So thank you for writing this book. Not only for me, because my (laughs) significance loves that, but for writers in general because I think it's going to be a go-to tool I really do I think Aww. it's wonderful so well, thank, thank you, you so for much the encouragement <laughs> you're welcome so Sasha tell everyone where they can get this wonderful book
0: uh, so the book is wide which means you can get it on any retailer and I will leave a link in the show notes the other thing that I wanted to say is at the back of the book there is a bonus goodie if you sign up to my mailing list you will get a um, Additional document with three more really detailed examples of deconstruction in practice, looking at three different um, tools in writing. So yeah, there is like a bonus if you if you read and enjoy the book. I I think that will really help to solidify the learning. So yeah, I do recommend getting that, not not least because it's not not just because it's on my mailing list, but because I do actually think it's a good tool. But yeah, so all the links are in the show notes. It will be on all of the stores. Awesome. Thank you for hosting me.
1: You're welcome. I'm Cassie Newell and you are listening to Sasha Black. And this was the Rebel Author Podcast.
0: I'm back. What an amazing host Cassie was. Thank you so much for taking the time out and for encouraging me to write the the bloody book. The dedication is actually to this Cassie, uh, the one and only. So uh, yeah, this one was for you, Cassie, you naughty fucking minx. Uh, And yes, next week I will be back, uh, back in the hosting chair, uh, talking to AK Mulford. They are a fucking powerhouse on TikTok. They uh, managed to secure a multi-seven-figure deal with a traditional publisher for their uh, fantasy, romance, uh, queer, amazing epic stories. So we are going to dive into that. And I have to say they are an absolute delight. I adored speaking to them. And uh, yeah, I I, I just I think I fell a little bit in love. So yeah, I, I've had a few episodes like that recently. So I've been, <laughs> I've been very much enjoying the interviews. And this one uh, is another one of those. So join me next week for that. Oh, Yes, and of course, if you haven't got your copy, go and get your copy of The Anatomy of a Bestseller. It's out now, everywhere. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.